Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. where the Northern Road is? Oh, a few people. Great. Well, let me just fill you in. The Northern Road goes from Narellan to Penrith. If you've never driven along it, if you did happen to drive along that road right now, it looks like this, and it's like four lanes, dual carriageway, but the most bizarre thing about this road is it's in the middle of cow paddocks. And if you didn't know what was happening in that part of the city at the moment, you would be right to go, what's the point of this road? I mean, not only is it really wide in the middle of cow paddocks, but you come to traffic lights, like intersections, and there's no cross street. Like, there's lights and there's a little bit of road each side and that's it. And you're like, what is the point of this? Now, we sometimes like to speculate, and this is really the point of this whole illustration, that we like to speculate. We like to go... What, what is the purpose of X, Y or Z? What's going on here? What is happening? Why is this how it is? But speculation often, sometimes it gets us to the right answer, but often what happens with speculation is it just increases our anxiety. It increases our confusion. We start searching for things and we make assumptions about things that often aren't right. But speculation is part of the human condition. We often want to know why or what. If you were driving down uh, the Northern Road and you had no idea what was happening in that part of Sydney, you might ask a different question, an inquisitive question, a question like, what is this massive road pointing to? And if you ask that sort of inquisitive question, rather than asking what's the point, you would eventually find out that it points to the massive development happening around the second airport that's been built out there. When we come to Philippians, this part of Philippians that Brendan just read for us, what we find Paul doing is modelling to us a better way of facing difficulties. And Paul is facing several difficulties. For those of you who were here last week, we touched on some of them. And he could easily, in the midst of these difficulties, throw up his arms in despair and go, what's the point? Why do I keep doing this? Why is this happening to me? But he does something very different. He asks not what, but who. More specifically, he asks, how does this reveal Jesus? How does this difficulty that I'm in reveal Jesus? Look at verse 12 to 14. We know that Paul is in chains, he's in prison of some sort, perhaps not like we would imagine prison to be, but he's he's chains, he's in chains. His chains have thrown his ministry plans up in the air and it would be easy for Paul to become despondent, to see the chains as some sort of defeat and to ask, what's the point? I've become despondent at much less, like this puzzle that I'm trying to complete at the moment. That just seems to be a step beyond me. I get like five pieces done a day and that's a good day. (laughs) If you can find a missing piece, let me know which one it is and where it goes and I'll fix it up when I get home. But rather than get despondent, 
Rather than ask what's the point, Paul looks to who? And he says, I am in chains for Christ. Now that's a pretty amazing statement. But I want you to know that Paul is not being superficial. It's not like he wants to be in chains. It's not like he's minimising the difficulty that comes because of chains and it's certainly not, not as though he's glorifying the idea of being in chains. It's tough for him. It's difficult. But what he is saying is that rather than the chains have a, having a hold on him or rather than his oppressors, the emperor, the government of the day, having a hold on him. Jesus has a hold on him. His whole way of looking at the chains indicates that Jesus is more powerful than those chains that hold him. He doesn't see the power of the chains, but rather sees the greater power of Jesus. And he says the chains have actually served to advance the gospel. Now, I think when Paul's saying this, This is like an idea that he wouldn't have dreamt up when he first became a Christian but that he's seeing work out as he lives, that the chains, the suffering, the hardship that he's going through are actually serving to advance the gospel and he gives us two examples of how this has happened. The first one is that the whole palace guard knows that he's in chains. Now, the palace guard are those who are closest to the emperor. And so what's going on here is that those in the emperor's circle are hearing about the good news of Jesus. Now how else would have they been able to hear about the good news of Jesus except if someone like Paul was in chains? So Paul's saying, look, the gospel is being advanced because of this. Now it doesn't mean that they've all become Christians. But what Paul's saying is that while his plans have been interrupted, even in the midst of his difficulty, he can still point to Jesus and Jesus is more powerful than his situation. And the second example he gives is about other believers. And he says that other Christians are increasing their confidence in Jesus. They're becoming bold in proclaiming the gospel. And what I want you to notice here is that it's confidence in Jesus that leads to daring and fearless proclamation. Sometimes we talk about the idea of mission heat, about us being hot for mission, keen to go out and share the good news of Jesus. But I want you to notice that mission heat isn't turned up by us turning up a dial somewhere on ourselves. Mission heat is increased when Jesus' heat is increased. The more confident we are in Jesus, the more our desire for mission will increase. And so I've got to ask, how is our confidence in Jesus? Do we see the loss of Christian power and influence in our world somehow meaning that Jesus' power is decreased? Or do we take hold of the stories like we heard of Maddie tonight and go, Jesus can change lives. Jesus does change lives. And does that increase our confidence in Jesus and in his power in our world? Are we confident that Jesus reigns supreme over all? 
Are we confident that no matter what situation comes upon us, Jesus is more powerful than that situation? Rather than ask what, Paul asks who. And rather than see the chains, he sees the greater power of Jesus over those who enslave him. Well, chains aren't Paul's only difficulty. He also faces opposition. And this opposition, I think, is actually coming from other believers, other Christians. Look at verse 15 to 18. While he's been in chains, some people have been stirring up trouble for him. Uh, Another word for this might be being opportunistic. It's like someone taking a photo or a video of someone in trouble, hoping that that goes viral rather than actually just getting in and helping out. They're being opportunistic. They're taking advantage of Paul's circumstances without any concern for Paul himself. And Paul doesn't say exactly what it is that they're doing. He doesn't explain. But we know that they're not false teachers. That's not the issue here. Because Paul says that they're preaching Christ. In other books of the Bible, Paul gets pretty annoyed with people who are false teachers. But not here. What's false about them isn't their teaching, it's their motives. It's the selfish ambition that's driving them. They're stirring up trouble for Paul somehow because of this selfish ambition. We don't know what. Perhaps it could be taking away influence from Paul. Perhaps it could be draining him of the financial resources that are so much needed for his ministry. Or perhaps it could be uh, encouraging people to switch allegiances from Paul to them, removing loyalty from Paul. Whatever it is, what I want you to notice or think about is how Paul responds to this opposition that he's getting from other Christians. And if he was asking, what's the point? You know, I'm in jail and you guys are out stirring up trouble for me. If he started going down that track, you might expect him to launch some sort of attack. He might ask, or he might feel the need to defend himself, to tear apart their arguments, to expose their motives. But Paul isn't asking what. He's asking who. And what matters to Paul is that Christ is preached. Even if Paul's going to suffer more than what he already has as a result of their stirring up of trouble, what he's concerned about is that Jesus' name is being preached. Jesus is what, is what matters. It's not what's the point of this opposition, what's the point of this stirring up trouble, but who? And when he asks who, he says, if Jesus is being preached, then I rejoice. Is our joy in the proclamation of Jesus over all things? Does that get our heart going when we hear Jesus being proclaimed? Is that our greatest joy? Well, the third area where Paul could ask what's the point is in his potential death. And at this point in Paul's life, that is a reality for him. There's a very real chance that death is imminent. Having missioned all over the known world, going around telling people about Jesus and keen to do more of that, now facing potential death, it would be easy again for Paul to go, 
What's the point? And if he did, he might say to the Philippians, we might get to this part of the letter and he says, will you please send some people to break me out of these chains so that I can keep going on with the work that's before me. But again, he doesn't do that because he's not being driven by the what or the why, he's being driven by the who. And what Paul says here is both stunning and memorable. In fact, we're coming to one of the most memorable verses or well-known verses in Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's saying, whether it be life or death, it's all about Jesus and it all points to Jesus. When it comes to death, Paul is confident and comfortable in his death because he knows that he will be with Jesus. I remember someone apologising to me uh, when I went to visit them one day on their sickbed as they were facing death. They apologised to me that I had that job of going to see people. And look, it's not the most exciting part of my job, but it's often one of the most encouraging parts of my job. And I'll tell you why. Because when you're facing death, you stop asking what and why and your biggest concern is who. And what happens in hospital wards time after time with Christian people is that medical practitioners, patients, families and friends and even the visiting pastor are ministered to by the person who's sharing the hope they have in Jesus, even as they face the darkest valleys of life. If Paul is approaching death, he knows that Jesus' greatness will be shown because Jesus will take Paul to be with him. But actually Paul is pretty confident that death isn't going to be the outcome. He's surprisingly confident about this. He expects that God will grant him life. But if God does grant him life, notice that he doesn't have to ponder what life's purpose is. He doesn't have to go, oh, okay, now God's given me extra life. What am I going to do now? He's already made that decision. What does he say? To live is Christ. Here's what I'm going to do. If I get out of here, if God grants me grace and gives me life, it's going to be all about Jesus. See, Paul has died long ago to his own ambition. Paul is not on about building his own kingdom or just doing the stuff that will bring satisfaction to him in this world. His eyes are on Jesus. And the what of life then become consumed by the whom. I'm not sure that we have Paul's clarity. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Are our plans and ambitions consumed by Jesus? In my small group uh, this week, we were talking about this passage and one member of my small group really quite profoundly observed that in our desire for comfort, and in our avoidance of suffering or difficulty or pain, 
He said we also miss out on joy. What happens is as we, as we, uh, as we seek to avoid um, suffering and as we seek to fill our life with comfort, the end result is that we settle for mediocrity. And that comment reminded me of a quite famous C.S. Lewis quote. C.S. Lewis said this, We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. He goes on to say we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at a sea. And then he says, we are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. We settle for mediocre when the joy of living with Christ is being offered to us. We're pleased by the next life event, whatever it might be, by the next getaway, by the fulfilment of ambition, however that works out. But Paul asks not what, but who. And he settles for nothing less than the joy of living for Christ. Now, I know that Christ is our joy. But is Christ our greatest joy? Is he the joy above all others? When we sing no other name, is that the cry of our heart? There is no other name but the name of Jesus. Is he our greatest joy? All of this brings us to the key verse of the letter which we touched on last week, but it's there in chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. And the phrase here, conduct yourself, is all about citizenship. And we'll explore more of that in chapter 3 of Philippians when we get there. But Paul's passion is for people to be known as people of Jesus to be known as kingdom people, to whatever happens in life, whether like Paul it be chains or opposition or death itself or anything else, whatever it is, you name it, that whatever happens, we will be citizens of Jesus. We will live for him. We will look to him. We'll be more concerned with the who than the what. You know, we can speculate all we want about the what's of life. And I'm not saying there's no place for that. But if we get hung up on that and we forget about the who, we just cause ourselves all sorts of insurmountable problems. Ask not what, but who. Live as a Jesus citizen. Being Jesus citizens is how Paul sees the Philippians standing firm as the church as he finishes off this uh, end of Philippians chapter 1. Asking what can break us apart. Asking who joins us together. See, we're kind of like participants in a three-legged race. Anyone ever done one of these? Yep, lots of nodding, not many hands, that's fine. Not away. Um, But we're like participants in a three-legged race. I think we've got an image of a three-legged race somewhere coming up. We're inextricably bound to each other in Jesus 
by his spirit. But we also have our differences. There's a leg that's hanging loose, one that's bound together and one that's hanging loose. If we allow the leg that hangs loose to drive us, what's going to happen? We're going to pull apart, aren't we? But if we focus together on that which binds us together, what will happen? We'll be able to press on, striving together as one. And that's the image that Paul has in mind here. That's what he's calling us to as we live as Jesus citizens, to be thinking about the who and not the what. Otherwise, we will pull apart, we will fall over and we won't stand firm. I love, actually, one of the things I love about St Matt's is that St Matt's has this capacity and has had it for a long time to hold things in tension because, like the three-legged race, we're focused on that which binds us together, Jesus. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing in this church. And I urge us to keep going with that, to keep our eyes on Jesus, to keep focusing on that which binds us together so that we can press on together and be part of all that Jesus is doing around us. Paul finishes this part by saying actually that approach is an approach that will bring victory. And we have the victory not because of ourselves but because the one who binds us together already has the victory. The one who enables us to strive together has already won the victory for us. Paul says the enemies of Christ will be destroyed. We don't have to worry about destroying them. Jesus is taking care of that. And he also says the people of Christ will be saved. So we don't have to get anxious about our condition before God. Rather, we just strive on, focusing on the who and not the what. Jesus has won the victory for us. And so whatever situation we find ourselves in, that situation won't have the last word. For Paul, the chains of oppression didn't have the last word. For Paul, the opposition that came even from brothers and sisters in Christ didn't have the last word. And for Paul, even when he finally did face his death, death did not have the last word. The victory in all of it is Jesus's. It belongs to Jesus. Just as Jesus's victory Uh, uh, and we'll see more of this next week, but Jesus' victory came through humility and suffering. So verse 29 tells us that what has been granted to us, that's an interesting word in this context, isn't it? What has been granted to us on behalf of Christ is not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It's one package. We shouldn't be surprised when there's difficulties and suffering that come along because of Jesus. We don't have to like it, but rather than ask what, ask who. Look to Jesus. Look at what he is doing and what he has overcome 
And when we do look to Jesus, here's what we find. Jesus is powerful over all things. Whatever situation, whatever difficulty is in your life, Jesus is more powerful in it. Whatever opposition we come across when we're trying to talk to people about Jesus and we keep getting what seem to be brick walls, Jesus is more powerful than it. And Jesus is victorious overall. When we feel like the world's going to hell in a handbag, Jesus is victorious over it. He's already won the victory. It's his. And he invites us just to keep striving, to focus on him because the victory is already won. And then when we ask, not what, but who, we see actually in whatever situation we find ourselves, Jesus is worthy of it all. Jesus is worth it all and worthy of all. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your loving kindness to us in Jesus. And we thank you that you have given us him that we might have hope in this world and beyond. May it be that we, with Paul, can utter his words with integrity, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whatever situations we find ourselves in, strengthen us by your spirit that we might not just ask what, but ask who. And then seek to lift our eyes to you, to all that you're doing, and to see the name of Jesus lifted up and glorified in all things. We pray in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Bend Hills 6pm Congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatts.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.